This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. Now it's time to talk about how to interview a Nazi. For that, we turn to Gary Young. He's a columnist for The Nation and a fellow at The Nation Institute and an award-winning writer for The Guardian. His most recent book is Another Day in the Death of America, a Chronicle of Ten Short Lives. It was awarded the J. Anthony Lucas Book Prize for combining literary excellence and social concern. We reached him today in London. Gary Young, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. We have two examples of how to interview a Nazi. The first comes from the New York Times, our national newspaper of record. Last week published a profile of a young couple who we learned registered for their wedding at Target. They were interviewed at Applebee's. She wore a sleeveless jean jacket and ordered the boneless wings. He said he likes Seinfeld and King of the Hill. Uh, And they're both Nazis. You wrote about this yeah. for The Nation. Let's pick up the story of this couple, The I guess the Hovaters, is that what we call them? What exactly were their yeah. Nazi beliefs? Well, interestingly, if you, if you read the piece, you don't really get a sense of what their beliefs are much. Um, um, the piece really dwells on their ordinariness. Goodness gracious, these are Nazis just like me and you. Not that me and you are Nazis, but they really could live next door, and they, you know, all of the banalities of their lives. As though, I mean, first of all, as though Nazis come with horns and tridents, you know. Mm. Um, and there's a great phrase from Michael Rosen, a uh, 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 socialist children's poet. Here, he said, "Fascism does not come in fancy dress," you know, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, and so there is this bizarre normalization uh, of who they are. As though, I mean, a Nazi's got to live next door to someone, right? <laughs> and then, but they're the Nazis next door. And on the other hand, no real interrogation of what they're about, uh, what they do, what they, you know, what they think. It's not like you come away not knowing what a Nazi is, but you don't have any sense of what that impact might be on uh, in, in, in modern times. Now, you've had some experience lately interviewing one of America's leading Nazis, Richard Spencer. Uh, remind us, who exactly is he, and how did it happen that you interviewed him? So Richard Spencer is the um, uh, self-proclaimed leader of the alt-right. Uh, he's a self-avowed white supremacist. And um, um, I was doing a documentary for Channel 4 in England. We were driving from Maine uh, to Mississippi, from the Wiley State to the Blackest. And we stopped in Tennessee, where there was a white supremacist conference. Now, I'm black and British, and that is not the kind of conference I would hang about at normally, um, to, to interview Spencer. And I guess the first thing I would say about that that issue of how to interview a Nazi is, if you must, you know, that the first issue is, do you have to talk to them? Do you have to give them a platform? Is, is it, wh- why are you doing this? And I thought long and hard about that with where Spencer was concerned. 
Um, there were other things I'd thrown out of the schedule, including interviewing the clan, because I thought the clan don't really represent much, but that this guy, through his connections to Breitbart and Breitbart and Bannon, there was a kind of connection there. These were exactly the kind of people who were being emboldened by Trump and who claimed to give some kind of um, intellectual veneer to the uh, Trump moment. And however stupid Trump people might think Trump is, they usually, with, with any of this stuff, there's always some kind of intellectual veneer. So that was why we decided to interview him. But then came the issue of, let's call it choreography, really. So how? And my feeling was, if you're going to interview a Nazi, you do so to challenge them. You don't do so to, um, you know, to listen, you know, let them just kind of propagate their views. And, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, these are people with a known connection to genocide and violence. Um, you have to challenge them. That meant I wasn't going to sit down with him. I wasn't going to shake his hand. Uh, I would be civil. I wouldn't, you know, just start attacking him like you know Bill O'Reilly or something would if I was on his show. But um uh and so the first question I asked him was, you want to build an ethno state, but you know, why would you want that? And what was strange about this interview to me, I'm just used to my racist having a bit more sophistication, basically. <laughs> and um and so I imagined that the issue would be his slickness smoking him out, stopping him sounding plausible. But from the get-go, he had no interest in sounding plausible. And that was that was a surprise to me. That threw me off a bit. We have a clip uh, from your interview with Richard Spencer. The Guardian posted it uh, uh, online. Let's listen to one minute of Gary Young's uh, interview with Richard Spencer. So yeah. you're, you, you're really proud of your racism, aren't you? You're really proud to I'm be proud a bigot. I'm proud to be a white man. You're proud to... That's different from being proud if to be Africans a bigot. If Africans had never existed, world history would be ex almost exactly the same as it is today. Yeah, you just keep Because saying, we are the genius that drives it. You know, I How do you deny that? Sorry? How can you really deny that? You're talking nonsense. How am I talking nonsense? You'll is never that... be an Englishman. You don't and, get to tell me yeah, I what do, I actually, will be. Because my name's Richard Spencer. So I, <laughs> my name's Richard Spencer yes. and I approve this message. Yes, and so therefore I actually... I actually, ridiculous I actually, Because you've got nothing to say. I was looking for someone who could give some intellectual ballast to what's going on in this country in terms of race and in terms of white people, but I found the wrong guy because you mm. don't know what you're talking about. What's striking to me is how, on the one hand, how confident he is in his assertions. He thinks it's all just completely obvious and doesn't really require evidence or argument. I'm sure you noticed this. I mean, I was, I was dumbfounded by it. I do. Um, I don't think that Nazism is a stupid ideology. I think it's vile and violent, but I don't think people who follow it have to be stupid. And I did assume some kind of gloss would be there, but he was uh, he was wrong on many cases, just factually inaccurate. You know, he talks about Britain being an ethno state and there being no blacks in Britain during Roman times, when actually there were many, and there was a Roman black Roman emperor, Septimus Severus. And, you know, he said uh, an ethno state like Britain in the fifties when the 
kind of um, the symbolic arrival of Britons was in 1948. At one point, he said that if you're white, you can't be Indian, which is just not true. So, I mean, he he just said a lot of things that were factually wrong. And then in his argument, he would just say things that were implausible, like, you know, African-Americans benefited from white supremacy. Um, they are better off now in America than they would be if they lived in Africa, which first raises the question, well, don't you think Africa would be in a better state if, you know, they hadn't had a couple of centuries of stolen land and stolen labor, but also... You do know, don't you, Spencer, that black men in D.C. have a lower life expectancy than men on the Gaza Strip, that uh, African-Americans actually aren't doing that well, that the infant mortality rate for black kids in Chicago is on a par with the West Bank, that African-Americans in the U.S. live in third world conditions. Now, I didn't kind of argue the toss with him about an awful lot of this stuff. I would just say to him, you're talking nonsense. You're talking nonsense. That's not true. And um, he became increasingly bold, including insisting that I could not be British and black. And I said to him, and it's not in the clip, but I said to him, look, you've been banned from 27 countries. I can go back, including Britain. I can go back tomorrow if I like. Good point. I speak French and Russian. I'm more European than you'll ever be. And that's not an aspiration. That just happens to be, in terms of where I'm from, not my ethnicity, but my geography, this is where I'm from. And it, it baffles you in a way that it baffles very few other people at this point, really. Well, I want to go back to that New York Times story about the Nazi next door being such an ordinary, polite, uh, low-key guy. Is there anything in common with the way the New York Times portrayed their Nazi next door and the way the mainstream media portrays terrorists after they've engaged in, in mass murder? It's almost exactly the same. It's almost exactly the same. That they, they, um, whenever there's a profile of a uh, terrorist in Britain, uh, often but not exclusively jihadis, and I say not exclusively because one of the most heinous acts of terrorism in recent times was uh, uh, a white terrorist who killed a British MP who shouted Britain first. And it was that organization that Trump retweeted uh, their stuff um, uh, uh, earlier earlier in the month. But um, whenever there is uh, jihadi um, uh, terrorism, it's the same thing. And, it's, and the, 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 the papers say, you know, he was a regular guy. He, he liked fish and chips. He supported Man United. He, um, he used to drink a bit, and he had a girlfriend, and then something happened. Mm. And they never really look at what happened. <laughs> they just marvel at the fact that um, this person did come from somewhere, and it was somewhere very recognizable. And similarly, this notion... They don't fall out of a clear blue sky, these people. These Nazis are very much the product of an American moment, an American racial system. They are um, 
they're not a pleasant product, but in some ways they're a logical product of the country that's had 200 years of slavery, 100 years of apartheid, and just over 50 years of um, non-racial democracy. Gary Young uh, wrote about how to interview a Nazi at thenation.com. Gary, thanks so much. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. That's it for today's Trump Watch. Today's show was recorded by Lyra Smith at the studios of Emerson College, Los Angeles, located in the heart of Hollywood. Our producer is Renee Reynolds. Our senior producer is Alan Minsky. Special thanks to Rai Cooter for our theme music, Mambo Sinuendo. I'm John Wiener. The Trump Watch podcast returns next week with more talk about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting.